Thanks, Emily. Uh, y'all, I'm a, I'm a triathlete. Did y'all know that? Yep. I get to preach three times today. Triathlete. It's the first triathlon I've ever run. Uh, so I'm going to have to cut out of here pretty quick uh, when this is over. And actually, one of our newly ordained elders, Garrett Daniel, is going to give you the benediction today. So super excited about that. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and um, read our passage together, and then we will jump in. So I'm going to get out of the way. I'm in the middle of my triathlon, so I have no idea who's reading. Yes! Come on, Emily. Then, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Way to go, Emily. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would do what we can't do now. We can't see the depth of our own mess. Uh, we can't see the destruction we have caused. We can't see the destruction that has been done to us. Uh, and if we're going to sit with this passage rightly, then we need you to do some work inside of us now. Uh, we trust that yours is the power. Uh, and I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of Jesus today. We pray in your name. Amen. So you may or may not know this if you have been around here for a little while. My name's Jeremy, by the way. I'm not sure if I said that. Pastor here uh, at Midtown Free Fall. And I am an only child. Everything, only children? Any? Come on, let's go. Everything you believe to be true of only children is true. <laughs> Just get to know me for a little while and you'll know. Uh, my, one of my funny only children stories is I was with, uh, Sarah and I were dating at the time, my now wife. We were dating. She was over at my house, 
And, you know, my house, my rules, my roost. And uh, actually, it's my mom's house, but either way. And uh, there was a bag of chips right in the middle of the table. And the bag of chips started in the middle, you know, so that we could both have some chips. And then she takes a bite of her sandwich and looks back up. And I've taken the bag of chips, put it on the far side of myself, and am shoveling them into my mouth far away from her. Didn't even realize I had done it. And she looked at me and said, okay, only child. Um, so being an only child, I was able growing up to have my room exactly like I wanted it. Those of you who are not only children have never experienced this wonder. Everything that I put in a place stayed in that place. Nobody messed with it. For the first, like, 15 years of my life, nobody messed with my stuff. And nobody messed with me until I got friends who got enough up in my grill that they would mess with my stuff. But until then, I had this thought that my kingdom, this room, is my kingdom. And I was reading, this is, again, probably going to go way over the majority of y'all's heads, but I'm hoping for at least one person who gets this illustration. Nintendo Power Magazine. Come on! Okay, Nintendo Power Magazine, it was published by Nintendo. It was just one giant ad, I suppose. But it was amazing, and it was all the newest, greatest Nintendo games and all the things. And one of the featurettes that they had is they would, they would ask for use readers to submit a picture of their room. Do you remember this? And it was a picture of their room, like everything just so, and you would have like the the uh, Zelda poster on the wall, and you would have, like, your vintage Duck Hunt controllers, like, set out just perfectly, and you'd have your 48 Super Nintendo games with the little dust cover thing still on the bottom, all laid out just perfect. And I did it. And I felt so good about what my room looked like at the end of that. They never published it. I'm not sure why. But my room, my kingdom... And the kingdom of self just grew inside of me in those early years. And so I didn't really understand sibling rivalry very much. I had friends who had siblings, and I'd be over at their house, and they'd be fighting and messing with each other, and, you know, everything was an argument. And I just always thought, why can't they just get along? Like, what's their problem? And Peter did not have my problem. Peter here asking this question, how many times will my brother sin against me and I have to show him mercy? How many times do I have to forgive this guy? Those of you who have children or have been uh, a, a child with siblings, you know that question. How many times are they going to mess with my stuff or mess with me or hurt me or kick me or punch me or do whatever and I have to still forgive them? Ugh. Peter did have a brother. It was Andrew another disciple. And those guys must have had some cats and dogs fights growing up because right out of the gate, this is Peter's question. We're coming back into a series that we've only got a couple more weeks left, but what we're trying to do in the next uh, few weeks and have been doing for the past seven or eight is try to get after this idea that Jesus when he teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray then like this, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come is a really strange thing to pray for if you have no reference for what God's kingdom is. What we've been trying to do is zoom in on this 
on God's kingdom and the ways that it's described in Scripture so that we can have a better understanding of as we pray for it to come on earth as it is in heaven and as we begin to seek it out in all of our daily lives, we can have a better idea of how to actually do that. So this time, we are finding ourselves in this parable uh, and trying to locate ourselves in all of these various places where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. And so today, he says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. Now, Jesus' kingdom and my kingdom run up against each other all the time. Everything inside of me wants to continue that Nintendo Power Magazine vision of my life. Everything is in its right place. Nothing gets messed with. I don't hurt anybody else. Nobody else hurts me. And then you live in relationship with other people for a very short amount of time and realize that that is not possible. And the the understanding that Jesus is giving us is so counterintuitive to what we would otherwise guess would be a life with Jesus. Because if you're like me, then the majority of what I assume is a life with Jesus is I kind of do my part, and then he does his part. I kind of do my best, and then he makes up the rest. But this illustration is so different. This description of what his kingdom is is so different than we would otherwise imagine. It is a kingdom described of mercy and a kingdom of justice. It is a kingdom where the greatest debtor goes free and a kingdom where that mercy then flows itself out into a righteous life to those around them. How in the world do we get from here, only child, to there? That's the journey that Jesus has us on for our entire life. So what we're going to do together for the next few minutes is just contrast this. Jesus teaches in contrast quite a bit. And here's another place where he does just that. He's contrasting mercy and justice in the kingdom of self and the way we would mete it out and mercy and justice in the kingdom of God. And so those are going to be our two points this morning. So first, mercy and justice in the kingdom of self. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter is essentially asking Jesus this question. Jesus, how much mercy do I have to give a person before I can give them justice? Like, how much right hand of fellowship do I have to give them before I can give them a left jab to the mouth? At some point, there has to be some kind of justice, right? I can't just continue to let people walk over me time and time and time again. And in asking this question, Peter is kind of defining these two terms, mercy and justice. He's asking, how much mercy, how much much do I have to treat someone like they don't deserve mercy before I actually get to treat them like they do deserve justice? And it's a fair question. When we're coming on the heels of the master class, if you're struggling with reconciliation between you and someone else, If someone else has offended you, hurt you, sinned against you, and you're trying to figure out how to walk the path of reconciliation with them, look to the few verses just before this passage. Matthew 18, verses 15, 16, and 17. Jesus gives this masterful description of how to walk the road of reconciliation with someone. 
And right on the tails of that, Peter's first question is not, how do I have the power to do that? But instead, how many times do I got to do that before I get to do what I want to do? And so, his question is probably the same as our question. Because if you've ever walked the difficult road of relationships with other people, the difficulty of being sinned against and the difficulty of sinning against other people can be this heavy weight that begins to sit on our shoulders. And if we don't know what to do with it, then it can begin to crush us and turn us inward and harden our hearts. The teaching of the day was in standard Jewish tradition is three times. Three times was how many times you got to show somebody mercy before you could kind of wipe your hands of them. So Peter, knowing that, then says, okay, well, I'm going to one-up that. Not just three times. How about once a day for seven days? And then any after that, then I can wash my hands. Jesus then takes both of those and says, nope, it's not three. Nope, it's not seven. In fact, it's 77 or maybe 70 times seven, depending on the, the way it's translated. It's either 77 or 490. Either way, it doesn't really matter. The point is, in the Jewish culture, the number seven is this number of completion. So he's saying always, not just always, 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 when someone sins against you, you forgive. How in the world do we do that? Because in the kingdom of self, when we're all we have and we have to protect number one, that gets very difficult because it runs up against everything that we would naturally do for ourselves. So the description of how to go about doing this, Jesus then teaches us. He says, Peter, let me, let me show you what you're really asking here. There's a king. This king has servants. This king owns all of the land, and he wishes to settle accounts with his servants. He goes to one of his servants. That servant owes him somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 billion. Like, a talent was the highest monetary unit of the day. 10,000 was the highest number in that had a name or a word connected to it in the Greek language. He connects those two things to say, the highest of the high is the debt that you have. And if you were to calculate that, it'd be somewhere around $6 billion. And of course... He couldn't pay because who can pay back $6 billion? Who can pay back an incalculable debt? And so then as a common practice in the day, he says, okay, fine. Well, then your family is going to be sold into slavery. And the guy drops to his knees and says, please, 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 please. He doesn't even say forgive my debt. He says, would you just give me an extension? Just give me a little while longer. I just got to, that 401k just has to accrue a little bit more interest. I just need to do beans and rice. I'm going to do some Dave Ramsey stuff for this year. And then next time, this time next year, I'm good for it. I promise. Six bill. You can count on me. And much to his surprise, what he gets is not an extension. He gets an absolution. He says, you're free. That $6 billion, that incalculable debt, that mostest of the mostest is gone. And in all of this newfound freedom, 
he then gets to see the world rightly. And all of this free headspace he now has and all this talk about settling up debts, he realizes, you know what, I've got another debt that I need to settle with a guy. And that debt is uh, somewhere around $12,000, about 100 denarii. And, uh, you know, so somewhere in like the neighborhood of a, a used car, like a cheaper used car. And he says, uh, you know, I'm going to go get that debt back. I'm feeling generous today, so, you know, I'll give him a little bit of time to do it. But by the time he finds the guy, he's so revved up and mad, I just have this image of, like, uh, Bart Simpson and Homer. Like, he chokes the guy out for this minuscule debt comparatively to $12,000 to $6 billion. He even... Jesus in the story even puts the same exact words on this other servant's lips. Please have patience with me. The exact same thing this other servant had just said to his master. But he gets a completely different response. He says, nope, pay up. And if you can't pay up, off to jail with you. And he sends him off to jail. Now the king hears what the servant has done. He confronts him. He throws him in jail until his debt is paid because Another truth that Jesus will say at other places is judge not lest you be judged. He's saying you will be judged by the same measuring stick that you judge someone else with. And so here he is. You have not chosen to resolve the debt even though I have resolved yours. Now then you are responsible for that debt instead. This is mercy and justice in the kingdom of self. It's pay up. I deserve it. You don't. I do. The servant loves mercy when it's coming his way. And he loves justice when it's going the direction of somebody else. And there's a word for that. And only children are very familiar with this word for that. Entitlement. It's this feeling of, you know, I know my heart. I know I, I'm not really that bad of a guy. I know that I've done a couple of things, but I know that that doesn't really represent what's in here. But I've seen the way those other people act. I've seen the way those other people deal with each other. I deserve the mercy. They deserve the justice. That's entitlement. But to speak of deserving mercy, that's an oxymoron. Because mercy, by definition, is undeserved. And so Jesus is painting this picture of you have an incalculable debt that you cannot beans and rice your way to pay off. And your master, God, comes to you and says, I am willing to absolve you of that. And our natural kingdom of self mindset is to say, no, 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 thanks. I'm okay. I, I really got this. I can handle it. I'm just going to work my way back up. I can do it. Peter believes the same thing. Because if you watch the way as Jesus gets closer to his death and continues to tell Peter and the other disciples, I'm going to die for you. Peter continues to go, no, you're not. That's not my God. My God doesn't die. My God is triumphant. 
and I'm triumphant, so you better be triumphant. Continuing to believe the lie that he can do mercy by himself. That he can do this life by himself. I can please God on my own accord. I've got what it takes. Just give me the chance. And this belief continues to harden him and crush him. And you see him not get healthier and healthier. As Jesus gets closer and closer to his death, you see him get less and less healthy as Jesus gets closer to his death. And so the question that Jesus is asking and confronting us in this kingdom of self that each of us have walked into this room this morning desiring to reject mercy and justify ourselves by our own means instead. It's natural. Our hearts do it so easily. Here's the question for you and the question for me. Where are you rejecting his mercy? The question first to you is not, where are you not giving his mercy out? Where are you not being forgiven? Because that's a fruit. The root of that question is, where in your heart are you not drinking deeply of God's mercy? Of his $6 billion debt paid off for you? Where are you still trying to pay it back? Outbursts of anger, harsh words in your head or out of your mouth, inaction or laziness, greed, lust, worry, past failures, present struggles. Where is it? Because the invitation of God's kingdom is an invitation to drink deeply of his mercy, but in order to drink deeply of it, you have to be honest about who you actually are in it. And this was hard for me. This was hard for me for many years. This idea of mercy, of a merciful God, and of a just God who is righteous and who cares and who loves and who moves towards his people. It's as hard for me to get as it was for Peter to get. And for years and years and years, going all the way into college, I continued to believe that I could do this life on my own. I continued to believe that I really wasn't that bad of a guy, that really I just had to keep kind of working my way up this ladder towards God, and I could do it. I believed in, I feel like you had to either believe in a merciful God or in sort of an angry, just God. I didn't understand how those two things could go together. Peter didn't either. And I kind of liked the merciful, nice, squishy God, but when my sin got really heavy on my shoulders, when the ways that I had hurt other people got really heavy on my shoulders, when the ways that other people had hurt me got really heavy on my shoulders, and all I had was kind of this flimsy understanding of this squishy God, he did not hold up under the weight that I needed him to shoulder. And eventually, that sort of led me to a place where my grades had plummeted, things got stale that I used to love. Uh, sorry, I was, um, my heart was hardened to a lot of people around me, uh, including my now wife, then girlfriend. And I was sitting in my truck, and I, I had a The Who phase in college. Anybody else have a The Who phase? Yes. So there's this song where Roger Daltrey 
He has a great scream, by the way. And he's just screaming, I'm free. And I remember sitting in my car and turning off the song and saying, I don't feel safe. And I vowed that I was not going to listen to that song again until I felt free. God used all of that year of ugh, all of that year of heaviness, all of that year, ultimately, what I'm describing is conviction. And conviction is a gift of the Holy Spirit to awaken us to awaken us to the reality of our real need before a holy, just, righteous God, but one who stoops low and is merciful to us. And I didn't understand how God could both be merciful and be just. It seemed like it had to be one or the other. He either had to be squishy or he had to be super hard. But Psalm 85, verse 10, began to gain clarity in my mind and in my imagination over the course of the first semester of my junior year of college as I was sitting under good gospel preaching week after week after week. Psalm 85, 10 says, Justice and peace, that is shalom, perfection, everything you and I long for, but we all realize how broken this world is and we all realize how broken we are. Those two things feel like they're mutually exclusive. This is the world we want. This is the world that is. Those two things come together. Justice and mercy kiss at the cross. Justice and mercy come together. And I began to hear about this person, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, who had lived this perfect life for me because God had a righteous requirement that I had to live up to or somebody had to live up to for me. And in this perfect life, this man, Jesus, lives this perfect life for me, a righteous record that is required of my life. Now Jesus stands in my place for it. Not only did he live this perfect life, he also stands in my place in his death on the cross where the mercy of God absolving us of $6 billion worth of our debts towards him. Meet the merciful, loving, steadfast heart of the Lord. And both of those things come together as he is able to fully satisfy his justice and pour it out. But instead of pouring it out on you and I, he pours it out on Jesus. And then we who stand behind him, believing that that is our story, believing that I really do need that kind, I do deserve that wrath to fall on me, I do need a righteous record because I do have a righteous judge, but I also have a compassionate father. And for all of us who stand behind that Jesus, our $6 billion worth of debt towards this holy God is wiped away. And it took Peter, and it took me, a lot of failure before we really got that. And that is the severe mercy of God to allow us those times of failure and really to allow us continually to see our need for him so that we can drink deeply of it. So what does this mean? For us to continue to follow in the line of the way Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. What does that mean for us to pray your kingdom come, your merciful and just kingdom come in my life and in my world and seek it in the way that we live as we walk back out these doors. First, to pray for it. 
Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors. Um, I, sorry, I continue to struggle with the idea of just how much I need Jesus, of just how deep my debt is. And guys like Brennan Manning, uh, who is both uh, a priest and an alcoholic and struggled with those two things his whole life, he's able to put words to this in ways that I struggle to put words to it. So here's what he says. As we pray for mercy and justice to come, hear his wisdom. He says, for ragamuffins, God's name is mercy. We see our darkness as a prized possession because it drives us into the heart of God. Without mercy, our darkness would plunge us into despair. For some, self-destruction. Time alone with God reveals the unfathomable depths of the poverty of spirit. We are so poor that even our poverty is not our own. It belongs to the mysterium tremendum of a loving God. I don't know what a mysterium tremendum is, but it sounds amazing. What he's saying is, and he goes on to say in other places, I didn't learn the mercy of God by great preachers. I didn't learn it by great books. I didn't learn it by lots of time and study. I learned it by sitting quietly with Jesus, opening myself up to him and hearing him say, come to me, weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Before we can have a chance at being a merciful person, before we can have a chance at being a just person, we have to receive that and drink of it deeply. And then we have a number of places as we begin to walk that out. Even the offerings uh, that you've already heard from up front here this morning, our ministry, or not our ministry, but the ministry that we're partnering with with Cultivate and Abby Gant right up there at Ellington Ag Center, uh, our, the ministry that we're partnering with Servant Group International with Robin Dillard and her crew. Um, these are opportunities now as a people who are more and more softened to the heart of Jesus, the merciful, just heart of Jesus, we then become a merciful and just people. Now, here's what I would love to finish with. I would love to say, and from my junior year of college, I have understood the gospel deeply. Since my junior year of college, I have never wondered once, am I really forgiven? Is God's grace really real? Is it deep enough for me? Am I really not that bad of a screw-up? Can I actually be honest with him and other people and not face condemnation? Two things happened when I first became a Christian. One, I got this heart for the homeless uh, around UGA, where I went to school. And then, almost immediately after I got this heart for the homeless, I started to pat myself on the back for having a heart for the homeless. And then I started to look at all my friends that I used to, you know, run around with and weren't Christians. And now I was a Christian and they weren't. And I started to think, why don't they have a heart for the homeless? And why don't they believe this gospel of grace like I do? And why don't they read their Bibles like I do? So quickly, I turned into that servant again. And so the call to us is to continue to go back again and again and again and drink deeply of his mercy. So I'm going to read this uh, and just ask you, would you close your eyes and consider this question? Where are you struggling to receive the deep mercy of Jesus for you? Here's Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. 
Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, O Midtown Creve Hall, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. Thank you, Jesus, that this is true. Thank you, Jesus, that it doesn't depend on us, that your mercy does not depend on our ability to even grasp it. Holy Spirit, open our hearts that your mercy would pour in. And make us a merciful and just people. Make this a merciful and just neighborhood. Make us a merciful and just city for your sake. That your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In your name.